hear that music, listener. It must be bookworm time. Um, this is Fab Radio International. I'm Nympha Hayes, and today I have a very special friend. Oh, oh, that music. Yeah, I, I, I thought you meant the um, gentle thrum of chopsticks running in my head. Uh, <laughs> I can't hear that, Russell. I really can't. <laughs> oh, I can. All, d- all, all night. <laughs> so, yes. Make it stop. So today's show is going to be an interesting one. Um, Russ and I are going to be uh, having an overview of the Vampire Chronicles and and the world of the Vampire Chronicles by uh, the powerhouse that is Anne Rice. Um, There's going to be, as always, a little bit of um, uh, news. Uh, And just so you know, um, we aren't in the studio today. Uh, We come to you through the power of pre-record. This is why I can hear chopsticks. It's (laughs) trapped between two dimensions. It never goes well. Uh, It's all the TARDIS's fault. Um, But yes, um, this this weekend is Thought Bubble um, in Leeds, and we'll talk about that um, a little bit more during the news section. Um, But um, yeah, we'll we'll be talking about the news uh, in a second. Uh, first of all, as we were saying, uh, most of the team is at Thought Bubble um, this weekend, uh, which means um, Ed and producer Al um, will be hobnobbing with, with um, authors and, and people from the business and a lot of readers and looking at shiny graphic novels and comics and books. And it will all be very exciting. Um, we've talked about Thought Bubble, obviously, last week uh, a little bit more in depth. Um, but next week um, is also at Sledgelit. And what is Sledgelit? Now, you very see, exciting, for a few it? years, there's been a thing going called Edgelit, which is a, um, uh, uh, which is a uh, lovely literary festival happens in Derby. Mm-hmm. Sledgelit, you see, clues in the name, happens <laughs> near a Christmas <laughs> and is <coughs> a, a very similar deal. There's some, uh, uh, there's some wonderful names going along to that, which... Yes, there is. Um, I mean, it's usually chock-a-full of, of, of interesting authors and people from the business. Uh, there's usually book presentations and things, and obviously being that close to Christmas, I can see it being a, a big push for new titles coming out uh, in this period. But also, the interesting thing about Edgelit and Sledgelit is that you get to do little workshops with interesting authors. Um, I mean, the last time I went, which was last year, unfortunately I couldn't make this year this year's um, conference, um, um, there was a a beautiful workshop with Janet Edwards about young adult stories. Um, 
She's the writer of Earth, Earth Girl, um, very successful um, novel, um, and and like some of the workshops were incredibly interesting. From you know looking at memories and how you can adapt them and see them through different eyes to incorporate them in your novels and things like that. Um, really, really interesting. Pieces. Yeah, I, I was at the Edge earlier this year and I've never been before, and it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, it really was. And, the, and authors were just so generous with passing on their time and, and their skills and their knowledge and what they've learned from absolutely. writing books. You, you're absolutely right and it's a wonderful venue as well there's a little bar where you can actually <laughs> sit and talk to authors and they'll they'll just sit and have a drink with you I remember Charles Strauss spending most of his time sitting with two fans who obviously were asking everything from his favourite <laughs> colour to the name of his first pet and he was absolutely gracious and lovely and funny and, and, and they were obviously loving it and, and he still is and he, hi there Charles <laughs> <laughs> I did mate <laughs> but yes it's 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 a fantastic venue if you happen to be uh, in the UK or you live in the UK and you've got the time to get there uh, it's in Derby it's pretty much Derby City Centre you can't miss it uh, but all the information will be posted on our page as always so that will be um, next week and this week obviously as we said the thought bubble um, another um, interesting thing that we're going to be sort of trying to do in the next uh, few shows and see whether, whether it's of interest is introduce um, books that will be coming out soon. So there's a lot of new titles that have been announced for January and February. The um, following trailers have been cleared for audience. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we've got uh, the band, the Bands of Mourning, which is a, a part of the Miss born series uh, by Brandon Sanderson. Um, that's coming out January the 26th. 2016, obviously. Uh, Miss Bond series continues to stun, surprise and compel his fans to keep reading. Um, and um, it's basically um, the title of Bands of Mourning are the mythical metal mines owned by the Lord Ruler, set to grant anyone who wears them the godlike powers. When Waxilium Lydrin is recruited to investigate, he gets much more than he expected and uncovers a dangerous conspiracy that could destroy everything. That's published by Tor Books, of course, because, you know, fantasy and Tor, that's that's like the same thing in, in, in my book. Um, and as I said, um, it's coming out on January the 26th. Um, so if you've got any of those uh, Christmas vouchers left over? Uh, oh God, yeah, absolutely. That, that's what you want to do, you know. Uh, one that I'm particularly invested with, it's Driven, which is Subterranean Press, and it's by Kelly Armstrong and Xavier Dumarie, um, who does the illustrations for Kelly's uh, novelettes. Uh, this is a novelette, and it revolves around Elena Michaels, who is now Alpha of her pack um, and as always it's going to be interesting it's going to be rough and it's going to be a lovely um, mismatch of gorgeous gore <laughs> that comes out January the 31st 2016 and I would always advise to actually um, pre-book it so just go and get it now and then just wait for this gorgeous little book to arrive in the post because A, obviously it's going to be shipped internationally and B they fly out like hot cookies, like honestly I don't own a single one because every time I try they've gone. they've gone so so yeah I'm really excited about that and, and Kelly Armstrong is amazing and yay she totally get driven I am Slaughter, 
Uh, sorry. It's a, it, it's a, it's a book me. title, not a declaration. There's also brackets on this. The Beast Arises. Glad mm. I didn't lead with that one. Right. <laughs> Dan Abnett's Family show. on this one. <laughs> Ooh, Dan Abnett, that's meant to be good fun. Oh, uh, yeah, we, 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 we... Not that we expect great things from Dan Abnett. No, we do. We, we expect... Really, we really, really do. Yeah. Because <laughs> Dan Abnett. Anyway. Dan Abnett's... Ongoing contribution to the growing body of quality Warhammer 40,000 fiction continues with I Am Slaughter, a novel that, that focuses on those perennial villains of the setting, the Orcs. Oh, you know what? Ed, who isn't here today, absolutely flipping loves the Orcs. He does. <laughs> he does. He's a massive he Orc always, He also very would've, much loves Dan Abnett. Would have like had, had a big gripe on them being uh, uh, being dubbed, uh, dubbed perennial villains of the setting. They're, 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 they're <laughs> just channeling They're lovely it, and cuddling just want to hug. They're lovely, <laughs> they're really. Understood. Yeah. We just want yeah. to hug. Just like everything else in the 40k universe. <laughs> Misunderstood, but probably trying to kill you. If it isn't trying to kill you, well, <laughs> run so away. Doing it wrong. I'd be even more suspicious. <laughs> anyway, I should clear my throat for the next bit. As the greatest orc war ever seen <laughs> to engulf the galaxy, the Imperial Fists make their last stand. It is the 32nd millennium and the Imperium is at peace. Of course, the forces of chaos plan to take full advantage of the Emperor's finest, being occupied with a sea of green monsters. This is part of the Beast Arises series, a multiple author project that, unlike the Horus Heresy, will include conclude in a timely fashion. Actually, this all makes a great deal of sense because whilst it's um, whilst of course we're the 40k universe is uh, it is extremely established, there is um, there is a whole push going on with the uh, with the 30,000 stuff and what led us to this in the first place. So mm. uh, have a look at your have a look at your toy Christmas uh, your model Christmas list this year, and uh, you'll, you'll see one of the things is betrayal at Calf, um, which is. Obviously, one of the uh, obviously one of the uh, big setting setups, and uh, it's it's a it's a marvelous setting, and uh, um, of course Dan does it. Uh, Dan does it credit, so uh, you'll be wanting to grab hold of this at earliest opportunity. What else is on the list? Let's talk. Excuse me. Tor, they're back. Tor, <laughs> they're back. A gathering of shadows by V. E. Schwab. That's released on February 23rd, 2016. Um, Schwab returns into his magical take on the city of London. Have you noticed how popular London-based fantasy is at the moment? Like, the last few years. Yeah. Big bada-boom. I'm going back there myself next year. Are you are. Traitor! Because they are... Not geographically, (laughs) I mean, you know... um, so, um, <laughs> months have passed since the Shadow Stone fell into hands of those who should not have it, and it was finally cast into Black London. Things have almost returned to normal, though our heroes are now dreaming of ominous magical events. As Red London finalises preparations for the Element Games, a sort of magical Olympics, neighbouring countries prepare to strike, and the balance could very well tip yet again, plunging the capital into magical darkness. That's a gathering of Shadows uh, tour books by the Schwab, um, and it's out February twenty third, twenty sixteen. Um, we and have. I have no doubt the organisers will be looking for uh, magical volunteers to uh, <laughs> run the magical <laughs> to help the magical Olympics. Yes, the Lost Time Accidents, a novel that's Farrah Strauss and Juro by John Ray. 
um, published February the 9th, 2016, uh, John Ray promises to take us on a whistle-stop tour of strange new histories from turn-of-the-century Viennese salons, ooh, buzzing with rumours about Einstein's radical new theory, to the golden age of post-war pulp science fiction. The book will focus um, Waldemar Waldi Tolliver, a man with a haunted past who wakes one morning to discover that he's been removed from the flow of time. Only by facing his past and his future can Waldi return to normality, whatever that is. That sounds really good fun, like like a bit of a, like 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 a one of those. You know those Doctor Who episodes where you don't see the Doctor. Oh, I look. I, I, I sort of love those. I do. Like like if they put it off. Like, yes, like the, uh, the like the whole with the Weeping Angels night. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. I love that much. And you do see him, but he's not really there until yeah, yeah. the end. It that really sounds like one of these, and it could be really really good yeah, fun. Great because they really close in on the human factor of it all. Mm. Um, so um, yeah, the Art of XCOM Two uh, by Titan Books. That's great. <laughs> Greg Furch. XCOM 2? Uh-huh. We, we are giving you all the difficult ones to pronounce, aren't we? I know. It's it's terrible. Please don't laugh at me. And apologies to people. That's coming out 12th of January 2016. In the art of XCOM 2, we will get a behind-the-scenes look at the incredible concept art created for the new game and hear from developers and artists about the challenges, secrets and rewards of creating this landmark series. It will also preview the game's first new... Uh, f- um, sorry, the game's five new classes of resistant fighters and their special weapons. Expect aliens to be at the bottom of everything. It is XCOM after all. I um, am enormously excited about this. <laughs> because, uh, the, first game was, the, the first game was amazing. I've, I, I've read up on the um, premise for the second one and... Uh, Trust me, you'll like it. And there's also a book on the Magic the Gathering cards. It's called The Art of Magic the Gathering Zandikar. Uh, it's published by Perfect Square and it's by James Wyatt. That's out January the 5th, 2016. So if you're a collector, this is a lavishly illustrated hardcover book. Um, it features the award-winning Art of Magic the Gathering and gives you an insider's look at the secrets of Zandikar, the people, the continents and the creatures. I would go as far to say as even if you're not a uh, magic player if you're a fan of fantasy art at all Magic the Gathering is one of the places to go there's some stunning stuff there and then our final release for the January slash February first batch of uh, new books is 1635 A Parcel of Rogues and it's part of the Ring of Fire series Uh, that's published by Bion Books on January the 5th 2016 of course and it's by Eric Flint author and Andrew Dennis author as well so it's it's um I'm um, going to be enormously disappointed if Johnny Cash is not one of the lead protagonists in this story. <laughs> <laughs> a parcel of rogues. Cromwell is catnipped fans of alternate reality stories. In The Ring of Fire, Cromwell is rebellious hero trying to free the United States of Europe from tyranny. When he escapes, King Charles himself demanding Cromwell's hand, head, um, the new Chief Minister Richard Boyle, Earl of Cork, brings over from Ireland a notorious crew of cutthroats to hunt him down. This sounds like a romp. 
like expect crime, history, shenanigans, uh, a lot of adventure, fun, and a lot of weirdness. Um, so yeah, that sounds does, absolutely bonkers. Is what it, it does sounds. sound really bonkers. <laughs> it's, it's, right it's, there. It, yeah, historic AU or something. Yeah, it, mm. it, I mean, it looks like there's a there's a nice mixture of fantasy and alternate history. Um, there's a bit of you know urban fantasy thrown in, but fantasy reigns. Like like next next year, it's going to begin with quite a few interesting new novels. Yeah, yeah. Well, this year's been re- uh, this year's been really big for spy novels and. Um, mm, well, with, an with the release of the well. new Bond movie, you would expect that, though, wouldn't you? Because Bond was about the thirteenth thing this year, the thirteenth movie this year. I think we started with Kingsman and we've had Man. Oh, oh I love Kingsman. I've only literally watched Kingsman last month for the first mm. time, um, and because I meant to, and then you never get around to doing yeah. things. And we've had Mission um, Impossible. We've had Man from Uncle. Oh it's God, we love. You know what? I never Man saw Man. Man from Uncle, and I really you wanted to. You love it. Me, yeah, Russ and I went to the cinema and watched it, and it was amazing. Just blew my mind. I think it's Guy Ritchie's best endeavor for years. Wow. For years, it's stylish. It's gorgeous visually the the plot line is really good fun and i think henry cowell does an amazing job of it he's just slick and perfect as a spy and beautifully foiled by arnie Hammer as well but yes it, i mean all all of the cast is perfect um but but the story is just like one of those 1960s spy it's 1960s 1970s spy romps that you know you grew up loving like you know the the, the italian job and that kind of thing really really good so so there you go, 2015, year of the spy, not, uh, year of the spy, 2016. So 2016, it looks like it might just be year of the fantasy in all its forms. Uh, one can only hope. Um, so yeah, we're going to have a quick break now and then we'll come back and talk about Anne Rice. Um, so yes, welcome back. This is the Bookworm and Fab Radio International, sponsored by Starburst Magazine. Um, if you want to check us out, we are on Facebook as Radio Bookworm. We are also obviously on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. Um, you can you can subscribe on on iTunes. Um, you can listen to the show through the Fab Radio um, International dot com um, website uh, on repeat. <coughs> and and generally speaking, you know, if you if you type in uh, Radio Book warm ha ha we shall appear what we're saying is you know where to find you now know where to find us <laughs> if you want to get hold of us tweet us facebook us we love it um you know get in touch um and you never know if, if we really really like you we, we might even say hello live woohoo Ooh. i know i know it's it's all very exciting i can't quite contain it so um, after that nice big chunk of new releases, um, I thought we'd we'd have a bit of a throwback Sunday today, um, and talk about the world of Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles. Um, it's a big world. It's a flipping big world. Yes, it is. Um, so um, I've read this about twenty five years ago. <laughs> is the thing, Ooh. and until today. I had no idea that this book was published the year I was born. Yeah, I didn't until I was looking up for this entire discussion. I thought, like, as as a naive, you know, young reader, oh, this must be new. 
and it's no. my generation's book. But damn, was I wrong? <laughs> even when I read, even when I read the first, um, the first time around, I thought, oh, these uh, these have come out maybe in the last few years. Maybe, maybe, maybe sometime. I the, I had no idea. I actually thought it was nope. the end of eighties, beginning of the nineties. Nope. How wrong nope. was I? Twelfth <laughs> of April, nineteen seventy-six. This book is older <laughs> than me, and it's still. I, I mean, it, it, it's a, it's it's like it's still fresh. It's still relevant. It's still beautiful to read and you'll read it and you won't know that you you know that this is um, however long ago um, apart from the fact that instead of recording this interview on on, a, on probably on their smartphone they're doing yeah. it with a proper little recorder which is still in use so you know yeah it could still happen so interview with the vampire originally well, what would you like story. to know? <laughs> it was originally a short story, uh, and um, one of Anne Rice's husband's students read it and read some of her writing and continuously pushed her to write more and more. And and thanks to that, you know, anonymous student, we now have a series of what ten books uh, so far? Ten far? in the uh, ten. That's just, it, just a, that's in the, just in the vampire side of things. Just just the vampire chronicles. So as I said, on April nineteen seventy the um, full-length novel of Interview with the Empire by Anne Rice came out, uh, published by Knopf, and it's still published, like, you know, 40 years later. It's still, still there, and it's still just as fresh and interesting and compelling as, as the original novel was. Yeah, there's so, a very good film made in the 90s as well. Absolutely. But, um, you had Tom Cruise as the vampire Lestat, um, a, a young Brad Pitt as, as Louis, uh, a, a debutante um, Kirsten Dunst as Claudia. Who is amazing. Oh, God. And um, and, and, and um, Antonio Banderas. Antonio Banderas as uh, the vampire Armand. Um, so what's it about? I mean, if you don't know uh, what the heck, people, just, just, you know, pick it up. What are you doing? I'm, I'm going to say this again, but close in the name. Uh-huh. So the, the story revolves around the interview given by Louis, um, Louis de Pont du Lac, um, to uh, a mysterious uh, journalist um, who later in the box is revealed to be called Daniel. Um, but during the first book, you don't you don't get any details, not much about about the interviewer, um, and it's 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 Louis' story mm. on, of how heartbroken after he lost people that were close to him, um, he was lost, and then this flamboyant, fun creature entered his life, uh, and and this was um, Lestat. Yeah, and uh, and swept him away in a cloud of blood and 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 sort of ha- in a haze almost. Um, so um, and so the so the adventures began. Absolutely. Um, so Louis was was a landowner, um, had slaves, had a plantation. Um, Lestat came through, turned him into a vampire to take away his pain and and gift him with immortal life because Louis was just too beautiful and uh, inside and out to be left to just wither away in pain and, and grief. Um, so and that then, first uh, part 
um, worked so well. He, he didn't, as as you can imagine, uh, uh, this this poetic soul that is Louis finds himself turned into what he considers to be a monster. Um, he sees Lestat gorging on blood and killing uh, his slaves and just uh, uh, and just living this this. Um, life of debauchery and he can't he just can't bring himself to be a part of it so he feeds on animals whilst Lestat gorges on 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 human blood and uh, until they actively mocking him as well (laughs) yes absolutely um because that's just Lestat um and and uh, as Ross says uh uh a string of adventures begins where whereas Louis just searches for a reason to be as a vampire uh, which he finds at first in the form of this child girl that he turns into a vampire to save her um, after he finds her sort of orphaned and, and surrounded by the bodies of her family uh, and that's how Claudia gets turned, this this young girl that will never grow up and that will, will be an old soul in, trapped inside the body of a child and everything that that entails. So you know that we were talking about, um, yeah, Louis having his uh, pain taken away N- no. this is a very uh, this is a very um, good example of that being a, a, a big no. No, no. Um, what we find, and I think that the, the take that Anne Rice um, gives to her vampires was just so so different from anything that had been done before. Because obviously we were coming out from the fifties and sixties and the seventies um, Dracula movies that were all yes about the power of Dracula's enthralling, and there was an element of sexuality, obviously quite quite strong but Anne Rice just took that to a new level and gave vampires a soul like a proper romantic uh, anti-hero persona in the form of Louis first but also Lestat um, obviously during the first book you see Lestat through the eyes of Louis uh, who hates him because he's made he's turned him into he promised him something that wasn't delivered to him he just he thought you know he would he would have a new life and a new start and and instead was left with all of the grief of his human life uh, to bear forever and this is actually where it gets beautiful because you've got the uh, because he he finishes it, he he finishes his tale which is which is the interview and uh, by the vam- uh, and by the second uh, novel which again uh, very much uh, uh, very much tells you most about it in the name the vampire lestat <laughs> is where lestat literally rocks up and says right yeah you've um, heard the interesting wine guy <laughs> interesting story you've now, heard him wine <coughs> but but actually you have no idea kind of thing no no this is what really went down and by the way yeah this is my backstory before that so mm. you know where we've where, where uh, i come where from I've, where i've come from how? and um, you know what dear read i'll let you decide for yourself <laughs> is louis in fact as whiny as uh, he comes across or <laughs> <laughs> yes he I've, is. yeah i've always thought he was kind of whiny mm. um i think he has a beautifully poetic voice in the first book but Lestat was always the charismatic figure, even through the eyes of Louis, who's trying to portray him as this blood-sucking monster that cares for nobody and nothing apart from himself. You actually realise that his view is a little bit of skew because he is bitter. He is bitter and, and wounded and grieving uh, because by the end of the book, and I'm sure, you know, please forgive me if you've never even heard of the novels, but they've been out well, for 40 years. Well, they've been years. out for so long so, now. So, if you don't want spoilers, start singing now um but you know after he loses claudia 
um, than that his life is basically as a vampire is just just over for him. Uh, you know, he he everybody that he loves kind of gets taken away from him, whether he's human or a vampire. So for him, it's it's sort of like a, a pointless journey almost. And that's one of the things about Louis. He doesn't really grow as a character, and I think that's why he comes across as whiny. He doesn't go past his grief and his regrets he just wallows in them as opposed to embracing this this new life that he's been given um and 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 sort of letting go he's always the passenger in his own story as opposed to the protagonist yeah once uh, once lestat starts speaking it always came across to me that he was the more uh, his story was the more compelling and well, I the result of that is, is a, the like, stat gets the next book. Uh, the, the, gets the next series of songs. Well, the, the thing is, Lestat was always a little bit of, of of a protagonist, as I said, even in Interview with the Vampire, because everything that Louis is, even when Lestat isn't there, there's always this presence in in his life. So the second book was just a natural evolution from that, uh, whereas obviously the second book called The Vampire Lestat, as, as Ross has pointed out, um, tells you who, where, where Lestat came from, how he was turned into a vampire. And you soon realise that actually his life hasn't been any easier than Louis's. However, he's just he's got a very just, different way of handling it. He's mm. embraced it and, and his charisma as, as a human just sort of blossoms and he gets entangled in world changing sort of. Um, world-changing um, uh, facts and, 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 and histories that sort of weave throughout the story. Now, yeah. in the first one, uh, as usual, because it's an introduction to the world, you sort of follow Louis and get glimpses of, of Lestat, you get Claudia's story, you get glimpses of Armand and his vampires in Paris and, and how, how that community lived. <coughs> but actually, the story's so much bigger and the world is so much bigger. And, and it's only once you go past that second book into the third that you, you start how glimpsing big the, uh, how big the world, world is. is yeah. Uh, what we'll do is we'll take a quick coffee break and we'll <laughs> come back to it. And we'll come back to it quick. lovely Ed as usual has gone out and find us an exciting author to speak with um, and here's what he had to say This is Fab Radio International John Harris and welcome to the Big Well. Thank you So uh, you are in Manchester for Glance Fest um, tell, us, tell, tell us what you're up to well, I'm going to be doing a couple of panels on, on a load of fun things, actually, and just generally meeting people and, and talking about fantasy. So uh, what work do you have currently out? 
What work I have out... Well, this is a complicated one because I'm juggling two, two publishers, but with Golantz I have The Gospel of Loki, which is just out in paperback, and they have just announced the publication in 2017, which seems like a long way away but isn't, of my, my storybook, which is called Honeycomb, and which we're now waiting for the illustrations, which are being done by Charles Vess, who is marvellous, but who will take his time. So going on to the Gospel of Loki, um, how... Uh, Every, everyone seems fascinated with Logie right now and Norse myths and posh because there's been movies and all sorts of focus. How has your experience of writing that character been from uh, the current mainstream expectation? I don't know. I don't care about the current mainstream expectation. I've been writing this character for a lot longer than I've been aware of Marvel Comics, so I kind of think of it as being a big sandbox that we all get to play in in spite of what Marvel Comics are doing now, which is good fun, actually, but which is really nothing much to do with my Loki and my version of these myths. What are the most fun aspects of the Norse myth for you? Well, I think the interesting thing about the Norse myths is that they must have been originally much funnier and much more robust in terms of humour than they became. They were transcribed in the 12th century by Christian scholars in a kind of cod epic way and they became more and more solemn and heroic and the Victorians didn't help of course and Wagner didn't help and, and the kind of the era of um, of heroic literature didn't help because I think they drifted further and further away from being the stories of the people and so what I've had great fun with is, is going back to the humour and going back to the interplay between the characters which I've always seen as the the real appeal of those myths and trying to trying to recreate to some extent the, the oral tradition rather than the, the epic tradition which I for one am a little bit tired of Is there something about the, the way that we like to tell stories that is is there a retirement element to the way we like to tell stories about remarkable people is, is Loki a cele- the celebrity of the past or is Loki a superhero of the past I don't think Loki was a celebrity at all. For a long time, I don't think he was at all popular. I don't think, as a character, he was popularised until the 20th century. And I think it's interesting because these myths, because they're fragmentary and because they are, in many ways, all things to all men, I think they've been recreated over the centuries to articulate whatever happened to be most important at the time. So in the 12th century, which was a period of trying to make order out of chaos, and it followed the Christianization of Scandinavia, and, and, and it was to do with pulling things together, there was a strong Christian agenda to the myths, and Loki was very much a villain, and he was a Lucifer character, and he was given that role. Now, in, in the 17th century, when the myths were repopularized, the agenda was all about conquest, and it was about travel and discovering new lands, because actually that's, that's what was in the public consciousness at the time. Then, of course, when the Victorians reclaimed them, it was about great deeds and heroism and nobility. And so, again, Loki doesn't have a, a big part to play. But in the 20th century, when we became interested in anti-heroes and moral ambivalence and the idea of why somebody goes bad, then he, he kind of came back into his own and became a very a, a kind of existential anti-hero character. And I think that's why he's so popular now. What can we expect from Storybook? Um, stories, lots of them, a hundred of them, which I started writing with no agenda at all um, on Twitter, in fact, as, as part of what I do on Twitter. And they were made, made up on the spot, 
and people tuned in or didn't as it pleased them and then little by little I started to to understand that I'd actually got quite a lot of stories and I ought to collect them so I collected them or people collected them for me and eventually I, I had a book which was interesting and I thought that the the stories were unrelated but I realized that actually they were kind of overarching themes that went through it and repeating characters that that had a kind of little story arc of their own and so I thought you know what it, it would be quite nice to make it into an illustrated book when you're working with an illustrator, is that a co- co- collaboration, collaboration, or are you doing your own thing and they're doing their own thing? How does that work with you? Well, with Charles, I think the best thing to do is to let him do his own thing. I've been a fan of his for a long, long time, and I, I know how he works, and I, I kind of have the feeling that it would be better to simply send him the whole thing and say, you know what, we've got room for 25 colour plates here and some black and white line drawings you just illustrate what you like and do it in the way that you would like because I think that will be that will be best for the book and you know I'm sure illustrators don't like being constrained any more than anybody else. You have a a very long and interesting bibliography so far are there any projects that you haven't yet got to do that you are itching to do? Oh, lots of projects. I'm always itching to do projects. I'd love to do a graphic novel with somebody. Um, I've written a Doctor Who book. I'd like to do a Blake Seven book. Um, I keep dropping hints and people keep ignoring me, but it may happen sometime. Um, there's all sorts of things that I'd like to do. I, I would like to do some more um, stage work. With my storybook, I've been doing some musical um, work and, and taking these stories into a slightly different dimension. So I've been working with a band and doing stories on stage with songs and with music as part of a show which, if it works, will kind of be up and running by the time the storybook goes on sale and so I'll be able to do something other at literary festivals than just stand up and go, here's my book, buy it, which I think will probably be more fun. You mentioned Doctor Who and Blake Seven. Hmm. Any chance you'll be writing any audio dramas? That would be nice. That would be lots of fun. I would, I'd love to do some some drama work. I've been doing. I've been um, writing a, a TV show for the BBC, which, if it gets on the ground, will be a kind of six or eight part thing. But I'd love to write for radio. I think it's it's a neglected form and and you know quite a quite a fun thing to do. Slightly more serious question: Is genre fiction as diverse as it thinks it is? Um, diverse in what sense? Um, diverse voices, diverse writers. I think it it could be more diverse. It could always be more diverse. And I think that you know there are um, there are arguments going on at the moment about diversity and fantasy fiction and whether it is a good place to to platform ideas of diversity. I think it would be interesting to try that. Um, what advice would you give if you had a very short meeting with a 16-year-old version of yourself, what would you say to them? Fix your hair, stop listening to your mother, and yes, writing can be a proper job. <laughs> Some uh, very silly questions. I know these are quite silly to be with, but very silly questions just to finish off. Uh, firstly, if you uh, got to allow one book to last until the sun died out, what book would that be? Ooh... Ooh, that's a tricky one. It might have to be Mr Bradbury because I'm arguing for him in a panel later on in London. Um, and I think it's probably going to be Fahrenheit 451. And uh, three very silly quickfire questions. Simpsons or Futurama? Mm, I'm still with Simpsons. Um, Avon or The Doctor? Avon, any time. Although actually as a teenager I rather fancied Villa. Uh, and finally, truth or beauty? Truth is beauty, as far as Keats was concerned, and I'm kind of with him. And Joanne Harris, thank you very much for your time. Thank you.
This is Fab Radio International. International. Welcome back. This is the bookworm on FabRadioInternational.com. Uh, I'm Nympha Hayes, and I was just talking to... Russ Smith. Um, about <laughs> the world of Anne Rice before we took a quick Hi. break. Um, it was the way he wasn't sure what his own name was just then. <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. He knows. I go under many names. This is the one I choose for now. Uh-huh. 008. <laughs> no. No. Okay. Um, so, yes, we just took a, a break to listen to Ad's interview for this week, you know, how he likes to go and canoodle with, with the people from the business. Um, so we, we, we were talking about the, the Anne Rice um, Vampire Chronicles and the world that sort of spins off from that very first novel, um, Interview with Vampire. And we were literally nattering about the uh, first two books without telling you a huge amount that's gone on with them um one of uh, one of such things is you know what a what a big star in the world of vampires Lestat actually uh, actually is and this leads really nicely into Queen of the Damned the third book where oh, he is literally a rock a star. star yep because why wouldn't you be <laughs> like it's not it's, it was anyway it was a natural progression it was absolutely a natural progression and it's so beautifully done like he literally just decides that you know he wants to be he wants to be the next best thing um, and, and, and he finds himself a, a group of vaguely talented musicians and goes off to become a, a sort of international rock star now i find this an incredible thing because um one uh, one thing that's a key theme certainly in um uh, certainly in a lot of uh, contemporary vampire stories is that little uh, uh, that little um well i say little it's it, it's quite a it, it's it, it's quite a big um difficulty that they have do uh, uh, do we announce who we are tell the world and um you know and let it go let them know we're you know apex predators this sort of thing or do we hide in the shadows see the, the masquerade is that how it's called isn't it the vampire the masquerade the big white wolf um role-playing book does uh, deals with deals with, with that. that in fact that's it that's very much a central um that, that's a Theme. central hook for it Absolutely. but it is for it, it is for a lot of books and it has to be because you 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 have to ask the question well how would we deal with this sort of thing um i think yeah and it always comes back to that um would the government try and co-opt them as threats are they part of the government um you know you've got things like Anno uh, Dracula which has been written recently which is yeah but there's there's, there's definitely as you say there's it's a it's a a focus a, it's a main theme in in anything that's sort of supernatural that is sort of set in the modern world because you know the, Arguably, this is a, an urban fantasy um, novel. Oh, no argument at all. It's one of the. It, it's it's one of the. Um, the very very one first. of the strands that that, that, that um, urban fantasy is built. It, it is I built think around. you know the, there's people like Laura K. Hamilton, uh, who who uh, obviously wrote the Anita Blake series. Um, I, I mean, I don't think any of those authors would would have been able to create any of that if it wasn't for Anne Rice's contribution. Yeah, I mean, we go back to. Stroke, we we still go back to Stoker as an, as an originator, but you know, yeah. this, the, the, like, say, like we were saying, the between the um, 
between sort of the 50s and 60s, it was the era of uh, Hammer, where they were able to, uh, where they, you know, very much had the, um, the the old the old style vampire coming into the modern world, as just you'll see in the later uh, mm-hmm. Christopher Lee movies. And from that point, there was a little bit of a gap, and, um, and Lestat that, walks right in. Huh? Absolutely, absolutely, and it's almost a natural progression. You know, the anti-hero um, of 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 the supernatural world. We all love. Um, that kind of of dark um, um, sort of main character that that drags you into the creepy, yeah. strange alien world that is still your world, and and it just fits beautifully. And of course, back in the day, you were dealing with uh, uh, you know dealing with vampires as one one of these one of these wretched creatures would turn up to your village and and, and terrorize you, and all all, all and you had to save you, your face. all you had to do was uh, all you had to save you was your faith, and um, uh, you know a couple of uh, a plucky young priest and old priest <laughs> nowadays we've got military grade weaponry Absolutely. so how do we reconcile that well this is well, this is it <laughs> this is the bridge isn't it um i have to say queen of the dam is my favorite book um of the series of the vampire chronicles because the mythology of how vampires came to be is explained in that book and the 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 whole the, there's a lot i mean even though it kind of focuses on lestat um i think the 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 real sort of plot intersects between several lives of different vampires and creatures uh, that just sort of in the end come together to sort of conclude that chapter and I think for me that first th- those first three books uh, can be easily considered a, a first trilogy because they they complete very, very the story very much so um, Queen of the Damned is we're, we are talking a story of epic proportions oh, at it's, this, it's at this fantastic. point so yeah you can happily read those three as a standalone if and you stop if you don't want to continue because it's a complete story yes it, it's left open but in a in a in that wonderful way where you don't need to know more unless you're obviously very much hungry for more and during those first three books you you get to know all these fantastic characters and follow Lestat's um, sort of evolution but also you learn as I said all of the origin stories about how these creatures came to be uh, how they they are still and and what the future holds for them uh, should they fail to protect their creators it's it's very, very good cycle for that story. It's really fantastic. It does bring things beautifully to a um, to a head there as well. Again with the um, uh, again with the um, bridge between the uh, between the ancient and um, modern times. And yes, because obviously there's there's a there's a, there's little jumps where you see things that happen in the past, not only to Lestat but others, uh, including Lestat's sire, um, and. Um, and and th- those jumps in, into history uh, slowly clarify why everybody is converging to this one rock concert um, put up by obviously Lestar and and his his band. Yeah, this um, this we won't spoil for you, but it's, it's no, it's, it's it's epic, wonderfully done. I think I think you're very right in saying it's it's epic in proportion and it's a fantastic storyline and it's fresh and new and still sort of original 
even today after you know 40 30 20 years uh, and obviously it shows how much people love the world because she's still publishing novels in the world and there's several other novels that are set in the same world um, including the witches of mayfair story so the the, the lives of the witches of mayfair uh, the first book the witch in our um, you very soon realise if you've read enough books in the Vampire Chronicles that this is the same world, mainly because it mentions the Talamasca who is this secret organisation that keeps the lead on Not so secret anymore, you all know about them don't you? Well, shh but yes, yeah, so so the, the the Witches of Mayfair, it's another wonderful creation. And eventually I will review it because it's actually my favourite book by Anne Rice. I need um, to read that one. Yeah, you, you totally do. Uh, and it's, again, this, this, the first three books are, are a tr- trilogy who, that stands on its own fit beautifully. And again, it just explores um, the lives of the witches um, through... One a, a particular couple, but then as the books progress, you get all the backstories and how these witches have become witches. They're not witches in the in that, you know, that they read from spell books only. That they have innate power that it's that makes them biologically different from humans. Ah, uh, yes. It's it's oh, it's so beautifully written, and it's as I said, the fir- the first book, but the first trilogy of books in in the uh, witches of mayfair chronicles is is just fantastic and it's my favorite um so i would definitely recommend those but i will probably review that first trilogy at some point in the show because it's just fantastic and again mentioned all of this we've uh uh, we've come across uh we've we've mentioned that yes there's there's another seven books just in the vampire side of things there's 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 several others in the witches there's there's mummies to talk about there's There's, there's all sorts and she's basically still be writing this stuff oh absolutely i mean i haven't read any of her later stuff so i haven't read the whole take on werewolves but i've heard really good reviews about um the book um you get armand's <clears throat> story at some point yes you get marius's story you get pandora's story there's a lot of novels that follow the backstories of several of the main <laughs> characters that you encounter um and and they're all sort of beautifully told and very poetic i i like Anne voice because it's it's almost it lulls you into the world it's not a harsh ride she she kind of sort of puts you in this trance with her beautifully romantic voice and you just kind of sink into it and by the time you realise, you know, you've read 300 words and you're like, oh my God, I want more. And she does a tremendous job of putting out characters that you you do actually want to follow their yes. follow their tale, see and where they go. Yeah, there was a beautiful book and, and readers will forgive me because actually I can't remember but she wrote an angel novel and it was gorgeous just gorgeous um the mummy um the mummy's great take on 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 you know the curse of mummies and and the whole stories and how um you know the 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 life of this mummy up to the point where it gets reawakened in in the mortal world Um, are you thinking angel time for the angel book it probably could be. Mm. Uh, when was it published? 2009. Not to be confused with Smile Time, so, which is an no, episode in Angel. Been, 
She's, she's written a lot of stuff. She's written yeah. an awful lot of stuff. She, she, the, she's the, a, the Wikipedia entry is long. No, she, her, 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 uh, she's a very prolific author and a well-loved author, so people just lap up anything that she publishes. I mean, um, rec- I say recently, in the last decade, some of her stuff that she published... Um, under different names because she she wrote quite a bit of erotica as well um like the claiming of sleeping beauty um it's it's one of i think the ones that was republished uh, as i said in the last decade or so and there's i think two or possibly three books um in that particular series and it's a retake of the fairy tale but from an erotica point of view so there's a lot of obviously scenes of a sexual nature and it very much focuses on on sort of like um, the strength and the power that a woman has in her own sexuality and how that can be um, exploited but also how it can empower you to explore things that you know make you who you are because obviously she, she I think she looks at sexuality in that way uh, as, as a tool to empower yourself as opposed to something to be ashamed of um, so there is also that obviously that has nothing to do with the Vampire Chronicles but you know Anne Rice has a, a wealth of, of published work um, in short stories, novellas, novelettes and full-blown full stories. There's also a religious one that she did, um, the the canon... Th- oh, can you see that? <coughs> Sorry. There was um, a book that she did uh, that had a religious theme. Uh, we've got Christ the Lord out of Egypt, Christ the Lord the Road to Kenya, yep, the road to Kenya um, and yep. Christ the Lord the Kingdom of Heaven, which apparently is in progress, but these may be slightly. Yeah, the first days. two are out, and the third one is, and so she she's just got such a such a big take on on the world, and and I think her themes are always sort of very delicate but she does it very well yeah we go bibliography the vampire chronicles new That's tales of the vampires lives of the mayfair witches christ the lord songs of the seraphim the Wolfgift chronicles uh, miscellaneous novels yeah and uh, pseudonyms are uh, some pseudonyms are Anne rampling and a.n yeah Anne rampling is the name she uses for the claiming of sleeping beauty as well which i read at one point so what we're saying is, if you uh, decide, oh, I want to start on, an, um, uh, I want to see what, what Anne Rice has done, the answer is lots. Yes. I would say, um, just as a conclusion to the chat, because we've waffled on and on, and believe me, we could go on for another three, four um, shows quite easily. Um, if you haven't read any Anne Rice, but obviously you know the name, um, start from the beginning. Just pick up Interview with a Vampire. You'll devour it, I can assure you. Um and then see how you feel some of us stopped after a certain book because you know I like for example read the first three and felt that that was me satisfied with the the story at the very least recommend if you're reading Interview with a Vampire you do at least read for the Vampire Lestat as well just so you can get that alternate take that we were talking about absolutely but pick it up uh, I would I would say this is a classic you know anyone loving um, urban fantasy uh, gothic fantasy um, vampires in general just have a read because it can only enrich your your knowledge of of the vampire as a as a creature and obviously um enrich you as a reader
across the world. 24 hours a day. It's that time once again where we have to uh, bid you right farewell. <laughs> so this has been the Bookworm on Fab Radio International dot com, sponsored by Starbuzz Magazine, and I've been your host, Nymphe Hayes, and I've been your co-pilot, Russ Smith. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine, presented by Nympha Hayes and Russell Smith, produced by A. L. Johnson.